Good morning. It was Henry Ward Beecher who paints this picture for us. He said, suppose that I go out into my yard and I cut a branch, a limb, off of a tree. He said, what I know is that all summer long, I'm going to have to look at that ugly scar from where I had to cut the branch off. He said, but what I also know is that by fall, because of the growth during the summer, he he said, you know, to some degree, that scar will be covered up a bit. He said, and what I know is that by next fall, having gone through another season of growth, that that scar by that time will be honestly mostly hidden, mostly covered. He said, four or five years down the road, you're going to have to actually look for it. You could get in there and you could find where the branch had been cut. You're going to see a, a slight mark, a slight scar that's there. He said, but 10 years down the road and definitely 20 years down the road, nobody would even suspect that a cut had been made. And then he made this statement. Now, trees know how to overgrow their injuries and hide them. And love doesn't wait as long as trees do. Now, I like that picture. That's a picture that helps me. Now, I don't think he's saying, he's not using the word hide here to pretend like scars don't exist and that that wounds are not real. He's just giving a word picture to what Peter says in the scripture when he says, love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, there are scars that happen all around us. Sin, it has its effect, but but love has this way of covering that in a most miraculous way, and thank goodness that love is in a bigger hurry than a tree is. And what I want us to see today is that forgiveness, forgiveness is a vital product of love. Now, I don't have any problem saying, I think this is absolutely true, forgiveness has to be mankind's greatest need. Because without forgiveness, we don't ever enter a relationship with God, right? Without forgiveness, we all have to pay our own penalty for sin. Without forgiveness, we are forever separated from God. We're going to spend an eternity, he says in in Scripture, apart from him in a real place called hell. All of that is the reality without forgiveness. Forgiveness is our deepest spiritual need. It is required in order for us to be connected to God. Forgiveness is a big deal. It's a big deal. And when you look at what we call the Lord's Prayer, which we've been making our way through for for several weeks now, when you look at forgiveness in Scripture, in this prayer, it's interesting how intentional Jesus is about this. Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 12 is where we're picking it up today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Here's what Jesus said. You pray like this. And forgive us our debts. And forgive us our debts. Now, it's an interesting word he uses. It's the word debt. I can tell you that five times in the New Testament, the word debt is used in regards to money. All right? It is a, it is a money debt. But 25 times in the New Testament, this word is used to describe a moral debt in terms of sin. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here in this prayer is the idea that sin is a debt. When we sin against God, there is a consequence that we owe because of our rebellion. We, we have violated his holiness. We owe. We're in debt. It's not that much different than when you have to, at times, t- say to your kids, if you do that, it will cost you. And then sometimes you got to say, if you do that again, it's going to cost you double. And then if they keep on doing it, there is a debt to be paid. That's the picture that Jesus draws for us in this prayer. Sin becomes a debt. When we violate God's holiness, there is a record of our debt that is kept. And in case you've never heard this before, the Bible even gives us the end picture. You can read in the book of Revelation, it says there's coming a day where there's going to be a judgment. And the judge, he's going to judge the ungodly according to some books, it says. Well, what are the books? They they are a record of all the debt that is owed. We're not talking money. We're we're talking those who have sinned against God but have not received the forgiveness that was available on the grounds of Jesus' death, and because of that, we would be guilty. We all are sinners who owe a monstrous debt that it is just inconceivable that we could ever pay. But forgiveness is available through Jesus' death for us. Somebody should be happy about that. It's available for us. And so here's what Jesus is saying in this prayer. We've been calling it airplane mode. He said, go in the room, shut the door. Okay, it's like, it's like on your phone, when you go into airplane mode, everything else shut out. Nothing to the outside world connected. You are are just connected to him. He's saying a part of what should happen when you go into airplane mode on a regular basis is you and God should deal with forgiveness. When you go into airplane mode and you pray, you should deal with this issue of forgiveness. In other words, a part of what should happen when you pray is we confess sin. We confess sin. Now, the word confess 
freaks people out, scares them to death, right? Mostly because when we think of confession, we think about somebody dragging us in front of a group of people, and right, we're having to, to, to talk about something bad that we did. Confess, the word simply means to say the same. To say the same. In other words, to say the same as God. To agree with God about my sin. What God says is sin, I'm saying the same. That makes sense? That's what confession is. So you go in the room, you shut the door, and a part of praying is saying, God, I'm admitting. God, here's, here's where I messed up today. God, here's what I know is not right. I know it's not right because you're the one who defined what's right, what's wrong. And I am saying the same. God, this is what I've done wrong. In the Bible, when you read about confession, it is almost always <clears throat> in a present tense, which, which in Greek language means keep on. In other words, when you read it, it is to keep on confessing. Keep on making this a part of how you walk this out with God. Now, it is crucial that we understand how God's forgiveness works. Otherwise, you're going to start to transfer all of the responsibility for forgiveness onto you, and it's going to make you more miserable than it is going to set you free. So we got to understand how forgiveness works with God, and I'm going to give you two images to kind of help us nail that down today. Here's the first one, judicial forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness, as in a judge. And here's what I'm talking about. This is the forgiveness that God grants to a person who does not know God, you are separated from him because of your sin, but when you place your faith in Jesus, the moment you see it, it is his death that changes everything for you. He takes your place. He, the penalty for your sin, you place your faith in him, then God forgives your sin. And around here we use the phrase, a beautiful exchange. He takes all the junk from you that Jesus absorbed and takes away, and he gives you in return all his goodness his righteousness, that when he looks at you from now on, he doesn't see all the messes that have been made. He sees the righteousness of his son that is now in you. It's a beautiful exchange. It is as though in that moment, hear me, God the judge drops the gavel. The gavel hits the desk, declaring... This person is eternally righteous. This person is eternally forgiven. This person is eternally justified, made right with God. This is settled forever, once and for all. All your debt paid, sin past, sin present, sin future, completely forgiven, once and for all, done. That is judicial forgiveness. And that is what happens 
in the life of a person who puts their faith in Jesus and experiences the miracle of forgiveness and is given righteousness. All right, we got that? Now here's my question. If that's true, if that's true, and all your sin, past, present, and future are forgiven, then why in the world do you need to confess? If it's all been forgiven, then when you go in the room and shut the door, why does a part of your praying need to be about confessing sin? Is it forgiven? Yeah. Gavel, down, done, forgiven, past, present, future. Why would you do that? It's because here's the second image that I want to give you. And this is not a biblical term, but it's the term I'm going to attach to it just so we can give you a word picture. It is parental forgiveness. Parental forgiveness. So we got judicial forgiveness, but then we got parental forgiveness, and this is why I'm calling it parental forgiveness. When this prayer started, how, do we, how does it start? Our Father. Our Father. Who's the Father? That's God that we're talking to. Who's talking to him? We who are his children. If one of my children does something wrong, all right, against the standards that dad has established for our family. They don't need to do something to get back in the family because they're not out of the family. You understand what I'm saying? They do something wrong they don't have to do something to figure out how to get back in the family because they never left the family. They're my kids. But they do need to make some things right. Because why? Because if you don't, it affects what? It affects the closeness. It affects the relationship that you have as a family. Right? If I should sin against my wife, all right, let's say I get really selfish and say something stupid. Okay, sure that would never happen. All right, but there's a reason I'm using this example. All right, let's say that I get selfish and I say something that just shouldn't be said. That does not change the reality of the relationship that we have in the sense that we are husband and wife. And there is a sense in which I am forgiven just because I am under the umbrella of a constant love when we both stood at the front of an altar one day and made a covenant to each other. And in that covenant was for better or for worse. And worse is when he gets selfish and says something stupid. That's a part of worse. And so the covenant means even when that happens, we're not going to stop loving each other. But what it does mean 
is I had better do something about the stupid thing that I said or else the closeness of our relationship is going to be affected. Right? That is what we're talking about here. If you're not doing that on a regular basis in your relationship with God, you are short-circuiting your spiritual effectiveness. Judicial forgiveness is dealing with our standing with God. Parental forgiveness is dealing with the mess that sometimes we get entangled with in this world and how that affects our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Let me paint this picture. Remember the time that Jesus and his disciples are in this room and Jesus is literally just hours away from a cross. And the disciples are arguing over who is the best. You know that had to be an encouraging moment, right? Disciples are arguing over who's the best. Jesus is looking toward a cross. This is the moment where Jesus wraps a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Okay? This is the story. The Apostle Peter, as often is the case, speaks, and what he says is, you will not, right? Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter's like, uh-uh, you're not, you're not going to wash my feet. He believes that he knows who, who Jesus is. Jesus' response is, if I don't, this is not good for you, right? If I don't, this, this doesn't work. And then Peter's response is, well, then just wash all of me. Don't just wash my feet, wash my head, right? Wash everything. And Jesus takes this amazing physical scene and he turns it into a remarkable spiritual truth because this is what Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 10. Check this out. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everybody was clean. So Jesus goes, look, one of you, Judas, you're not clean, but the, but the rest of you, you're clean. The rest of you are clean. You, you are made righteous by the faith. They, they follow Jesus. He said, I'm not talking about bathing you all over again because you get made righteous how many times? Once. Once. And it is once and for all, past, pressed, present, future. It is completely done. But you guys need to get the dirt off your feet. You need to get the dirt off your feet. Now, in those days, they take a bath in the morning, and then they put on their sandals, and they go to work and do whatever they got to do. And in that day, at a best-case scenario, the, the streets are dusty. When it rains, the streets are muddy. You, you got animal exhaust that's a part of all that process. That, that means that whenever they would arrive at a home or a place of business or whatever it was, they would wash their feet. There was a servant who would wash their feet. Jesus is saying, guys, you already have 
the judicial forgiveness. You got a spiritual bath when you believed, but you are sitting around this table sinning. You are sitting around this table sinning. You are so absorbed with yourselves, and who, who of you is the greatest? What is necessary in order to keep this relationship to its fullness, you, you, you need to wash your feet. Positional cleaning needs no repetition. When you are clean, you are clean before God, but practical cleaning, that needs to be happening every day. And Jesus is saying in this prayer, this is how you pray, and forgive us our debts. Some days I wish he'd have stopped right there, but he didn't, because this is what he says. And forgive us our debts as we also have what? Forgiven our debtors. Hmm. In other words, this is not just about us being forgiven. That this is not just about, right, this relationship between, between us and God. This is also about us forgiving others. Now, what reasons would I give you to forgive? Well, let me just roll through a few, all right? Why would I say you should forgive? How about Matthew chapter 5, verse 43? Look at how it reads. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So the traditional Jewish rabbis, right, the traditional teachers of the day would say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I mean, that'd be kind of how it works. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus flipped that on its head. He goes, no, you even love your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. In other words, when you do that, forgiving others is a characteristic of God's kids. This is what God's kids do. By the way, when you fail to forgive someone, do you realize in order to do that, because God told you to, to forgive. And when you refuse to forgive someone, you are setting yourself as a higher court than God. I don't know how else to paint that. If God says forgive and you say no, who's calling the shot? You are for the moment, for the moment. It is to lift ourselves as a higher court than God. That's called idolatry. When we, when we assume the role of God and determine what we will and will not do, God says, forgive, forgive. Why, why else would I tell you to forgive? How about because he forgave you, right? How about because Jesus forgave you? How about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Here we go. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, some of y'all been through some stuff. You have. You've been through some stuff. Some of you could tell some stories today 
of branches that have been right cut in your life, scars that have been there for a long, long time. Some of you, and we could go around the room and like different people could trump different people. It's like, yeah, this is what I, you know, like, well, you think that's bad, then this is what I did, and you know, like, it's bad, and we, we could do that for, for a long time. But the fact is, none of us, none of us have endured what Jesus endured. None of us. Because none of us have felt the scars of the whole world. None of us know what it's like to carry the weight of the sin of the entire world. We, we don't know. And he forgave us. He became the pattern. He became the example. He is the model. All right? Why else should we forgive? Let's just keep going for a minute. Why else should we forgive? Some of you need to hear this because it frees you from the effects of your guilt. And when God says forgive and you don't forgive, that's sin. With sin comes guilt. And I'm telling you, when, when you hold on to guilt, there is an effect that continues to grow in your life. I think about David, King David, in the middle of an unforgiving situation. This is how he describes his life. Psalm chapter 32. Check this out. Psalm 32, 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then... I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David is one of those people in Scripture where we see unforgiveness even leads to a physical effect on his body. A physical effect even on his body. There is a connection between an unforgiving spirit and an open door, it says in 2 Corinthians, for Satan to step in. And oh, what he can do with bitterness. It is a tool with which he loves to work. And from bitterness, he grows it and grows it and grows it. Dale Carnegie long time ago, told this story about going to Yellowstone because he wanted to, to see um, a grizzly. He wanted to see the grizzlies feed, all right? And so I think that'd be pretty cool too from a distance, right? And so, so sure enough, he, he goes to Yellowstone and they, they, they clear out, they made a clearing, put a bunch of garbage, we would say, in there. And he said the guide then turned to him and said, just watch. And sure enough, they wait there long enough, and here comes this massive grizzly. Walks right out into the opening. There's the garbage. He starts to feed on all of it. Now, you're talking about one of the most ferocious animals on the continent. Grizzlies don't have many enemies, right? But they also don't share territory. But Carnegie said it was interesting. We watched this grizzly for a while. And then along comes this little black and white thing, pops out of the woods, waddles across the clearing. It's a skunk. 
And he said that skunk stuck his nose right in where that big old grizzly was feeding. And he said, you know what that grizzly did? Nothing. He said, I watched as that grizzly and that skunk fed on that garbage. He said, you know why that grizzly didn't do anything? It's called the high cost of getting even. And that bear didn't want to pay the price. Smart bear. Unfortunately, smarter than a lot of people I watch who will carry around bitterness and they will carry around grudges and they will carry around this angry attitude towards someone that goes on and on and on and on and what they don't realize is the high cost of getting even. Not only is there a guilt, a weariness that weighs on your soul, but that eventually begins to even affect the, the physical part of your body. It is a high cost. I would call you to forgive because you don't want to carry guilt. So here's what Jesus says, Matthew 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. All right, and then if you remember last week, he wraps up the prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And as soon as the prayer's over, guess what Jesus goes right back to? Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's one of those places in Scripture where just the red warning light is going off in my mind. Isn't it wild? Jesus makes it through the prayer, and then as soon as the prayer is over, what is the one thing that he talked about in the prayer that he went back to? Forgiveness. He went back to forgiveness. And the picture is, before we ever seek forgiveness for our own sin against God. Now, we're talking about God's kids. You have been, right, judicially declared forgiven, clean. But as God's kids, before we ever seek forgiveness of our own sin, feet that are dirty in this world, moments that we need to confess that sin, what he says is, you have already forgiven those who have sinned against you. There's a plea for confession, but there's also a prerequisite, and the prerequisite is that you have already forgiven just like you are seeking this forgiveness. Sometimes it looks like this. Somebody says, I come to church all the time. I read my Bible. Um, I, I, I listen to mostly Christian music, but it's like I'm missing something. It's like I'm missing a joy that I ought to have. And I don't feel like I'm, I, I, it's like I'm not, I'm not living out what I know I should be living out. But to be honest, I'm, I'm tired of the routine of trying to, to keep up this, this spiritual standard. And so if you ever have the guts to say that to somebody, what often will happen is somebody responds with, well, you need to pray more. You need to pray more. You're like, all right, I'll, I'll do that. And then they will say, well, and then you, you need to take a class on, on spiritual growth. It's like, all right, I'll do that. And then somebody might say, well, and you need to read your Bible more. It's like, oh, okay, I'll do that. 
And then it's like, well, and this book. This book has been this is really good. You need to read this book. Okay, I, I'll, I'll do that. And you go through all the material, and you do all the searches to find what's missing, but it's like, I'm still missing something. And when we read what we read today, maybe what's missing is very simple. Maybe it is that confessing sin is not a regular part of the relationship between you and God. You, you talk to him maybe daily, and you, you maybe thank him for things that he gives, and, 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 and you ask him for a lot of what you need, but, but maybe there's no time that's being spent where your feet are clean. Your feet are clean. Or you might say to me, no, I do. I do. That is, that is a part of how I pray. That, that's a part of what I do. Yes, I thank God and I ask him, but I also, there's, there's a time every time I pray where I, I try to think through those things where I've done wrong and I confess those things to God knowing that I'm still his kid. It doesn't mean I'm not his kid anymore, but I, but I want things to be right. Then here's what I would say. Maybe you haven't quite backed up far enough. Maybe there's one more step back according to Jesus, that you need to take. Because maybe your confessing sin to him isn't giving you that release of joy because you've still got some unforgiveness towards somebody else. And according to this, he says that's what you must deal with first. Hmm. I want you to understand he measures us by the tape measure we use. It's a scriptural principle. He measures us by the tape measure that we use. Let me give you a couple examples. Here's what it says. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Check this out. Give and it'll be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Did you catch that? For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let me give you another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I've told you this a number of times. When you give, when you invest in the kingdom of God, there is a return on that that is out of this world. I'm not talking about doubling your money. We only think that way when we actually think that gold is worth more than faith. That's pure as gold. But he says in multiple occasions, he says whatever you invest in the kingdom, there is a, a receiving on that return it is the picture that he measures with the tape measure you use. 
And the same thing is true in confession of sin and seeking forgiveness. Some of us still don't believe this in terms of our resources, in terms of our finances. I tell it to you, we read it in the Bible, and we go, look, when, when you give, that's actually when, when you are most blessed in your life. I'm not talking about having more money, but I'm talking about seeing God work in ways that you could never imagine. When you are generous, that, that tape measure that, that you are operating on, man, he, that's, how he, that's how he just continues to bring those, those blessings back in your life. Some of you still don't believe it, and you think that by hanging on to those things, that that's how you end up having more. And he's going, no. Well, I'm saying he says the same thing about forgiveness. The same thing is true on your confession of sin and seeking forgiveness. When you hold on to grudges, when you hold on to unforgiveness, you are actually cutting yourself off from the blessing of releasing those things. God deals with you the way you deal with others. And maybe the short circuit in your spiritual life is that you've got some people that you're holding on to bitterness and resentment towards. You're like, well, what do I do? What do I do? I know I'm not going to like this, but what do I do? Well, you take it to God. That's the place we always start. And then you take it to them. Take it to God. Take it to them. Like, I don't want to do that. Okay. This is one of those moments where I would go, this, this is kind of like when you're talking to your kid, and you're like, if you want to be free, this is what you do. If you want to be blessed, this is, this is what you do. And your kid goes, well, I don't want to do that. You're like, okay. But if you want to know the joy, you want to know the joy, you want to know the, the, the fulfillment of a life fully in tune with him, then, then this is what you do. You take it to God, and then you take it to that person. I've found that every once in a while, when it's such a struggle, just a little thing you can do, I can't give you a verse on this, you may have to accompany going to a person, maybe even with giving them something, something that, that's valuable to you, something that you think is of worth. You, you, it could be small. You buy them a book. You get them whatever. But something that you see as valuable, you give to them. The reason I'm saying that is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That may scare you to death, but I'm telling you it works. It works. And so here's where we're going to land the plane today. Jesus is teaching about forgiveness. And Peter says, if my brother sins against me, how often should I forgive him? Now, the rabbis during Peter's day taught that three times was the number that you forgive. That's what they were taught. That's what Peter grew up understanding, three times. And that makes sense. Come on. I mean, God gives us, God gives us some common sense. God gives us, right? So if somebody messes with you, you forgive them. Same person messes with you again, you forgive them, but three strikes, you're out, right? I mean, come on, that's just common sense. Once, twice, three times, that's what the rabbis taught. You would forgive somebody three times. Peter says, so Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Seven times? Seven times? In other words, let's double what the rabbis say and add one to it. I sound pretty spiritual, don't I? I mean, really, I think that's part of what's going on here. 
I understand that seven is a significant number, but we're doubling what the rabbis say. We're adding one to it. That makes Peter sound pretty spiritual when they're saying three and he's saying seven. My goodness, we are going the extra mile until Jesus looks at him and he goes, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So we're like, so 490, that's the number? Because I think I have a few people who have messed with me that much, right? No? Jesus isn't saying 490, and you better be glad it's not 490, because some of y'all have been gone a long time ago if he only gave 490 moments of forgiveness, right? His picture is it's indefinite. This is unending. Peter, you, you continue, you keep on forgiving just like who? Yeah, just like Jesus has done for you. Just like what God has done for you. He, he didn't stop forgiving you. That This is indefinite. This is, this is unending. And then Jesus tells the most remarkable story. He goes, look, because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And one of his servants he finds owes him 10,000 talents. Now we hear 10,000 talents, and we use, often use the word talent as like an ability, but a talent was a measure of value in that day. And the kicker in this story is that one talent is worth 20 years' wages. Some of y'all, some of y'all is spinning right now. So let's say a common laborer in that day, let's say a common laborer in that day, we're, we're gonna, let's go $9 an hour. So $9 an hour, and you work 40 hours a week, and let's, let's say you work all 52 weeks of the year, you're, you're over $18,000. Um, you take that times 20, and you're almost at $375,000. Almost, $375,000. That's one talent. And how many talents were there? 10,000. That takes your number upwards to 3 billion, almost 750 million dollars. I'm going to say it again. 3 billion 750 million dollars. If that's you, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. The picture is a debt that you just cannot even imagine. Three billion dollars, four billion dollars, one billion dollars is a debt I can't even get my head around, right? The, the, the thing is, it's to draw this picture of, of, of a debt that's just out of this world. How in the world could that happen? I don't know. It's, it's Jesus' story. This guy's got to be somehow siphoning money. He's got to be doing something. How do you lose that much of the king's money? And so the king says, you, your family, your property, we're going to sell it all because you owe the debt. Not that that was going to pay the debt, but you, we're going to sell it all. And it says that the servant says to him, he falls on his knees and he says, be patient with me, I will pay it back. And in Jesus' story, it says that the king took pity on him 
canceled his debt, and let him go. Wow. But then it says that servant turns around, walks out of the king's presence, comes to another fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. Let's put this in perspective. One denarius equals one day's wage. So 100 denarius, we're talking about three months' wages. Now, come on, that's still something significant. But not compared to that, right? Still something significant, but not compared to that. And yet in Jesus' story, what it says is that the one servant to to whom the money was owed, who had just been forgiven 10,000 talents, he choked him. He choked the man. He falls on his knees. He asks for patience. He says, I'll pay it back. But the servant says, no, you are into prison. Well, how are you going to pay a debt in prison? Jesus says, That's evil. He says that's wicked. And this is how he ends the story, verse 33. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until they should pay back all he owed. This is how, ooh, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I didn't make that up. That came from Jesus, the one who died for you and rose again. The message is forgive. And when you constantly confess sin, then you are constantly reminded that you're a sinner, which means you are constantly reminded that you are forgiven, which means you should be constantly reminded to forgive others. I am still reeling from Sophie's story. That is an amazing story to me. The story of the young lady that you saw the video earlier, what an amazing story. But there was the part of the story where she said, this is how I grew up. And this is the violence that we faced. These were the wounds that were dealt. And I'm telling you, Sophie would never be where she is today, beginning to walk out this amazing venture, adventure with God, if she had not been willing to forgive. I'm going to pray for us. Um, In this series, we have purposefully tried to set this up where I think the last thing we probably need to do, you know, in terms of first is to just kind of get up and sing and move on. We we need to take some time to pray. And we want to give you some moments to do that. And so even during this first song, um, it has words that are so just keyed into what we're talking about today. I encourage you to take it in. Let that be as God is just speaking over us today. I encourage you just to kind of take this first song and just talk to him. Maybe, maybe there are some things you need to confess to him. Maybe there's some unforgiveness that you need to deal with. Um, some of you, it, it may be even with, within this room. Deal with it. I'm saying after all we've looked at today, 
Why would you not run after that with everything that you've got? Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you for giving us stories like Sophie's that just reminds us um, there is a power that comes in just truly submitting to you in every way when we lean into you. God, not just this beautiful adventure that you can call us to, but God, to know what it's like to be rid of, of guilt. And not just the guilt of what we've done, but even carrying around the guilt of what other people have done to us when we don't forgive, when we walk with bitterness. God, I'm asking this morning that, God, you would set some folks free across this room. I'm asking that, God, some who are hearing my voice, that, that there would be this moment of, of just realizing what an enemy has done in, in, in holding us captive because of the bitterness in our life. God, may this be a moment that causes us to lay it down. May this be a moment that makes us want to run and, God, forgive first. That we might know the full joy of what it means to walk with you. God, would you do that today? God, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.